0: Hello and welcome to Southside Church podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. So church, last week Sunday, we had an incredible time, you know, celebrating five years of Southside Church. It was important for us to spend this time and, you know, reflect on how far we've come as a, as a people, but also how far we still have to journey and how much we still are still set to achieve um, together. And the, as a continuation of that, the message today will seek to highlight an important ingredient for us um, as we continue our, prog- our progression and our journey as a people. So has anyone ever here ever found himself in a friendship, a relationship, or even amongst a group of people and even sometimes your family who you, which you would lo- later begin to regret? Few of the choices we make in our lives will be as important as the people who we choose to surround ourselves with. This includes our friendships, our romantic relationships, the faith community, whether it's Southside Church or another, our co-workers, our workplace, and even our family. The people who we allow to live in close proximity to us will not only impact our physical and our material lives, but also have the ability to spiritually spur us on and progress us, or they will be the reason why we stagnate and even regress spiritually. It is for this reason that we require wisdom and a spirit of discernment to guide us through the process of gathering a healthy nucleus of people to surround us. The anchor verse for this morning, it can be found in Proverbs 12 verse 26, where it says that the righteous choose their friends, their family, their work colleagues, um, their group, but carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, there is a famed psychologist named Yuri Bronfenbrenner, who revolutionized the study of human, um, and more specifically child development, by introducing this idea known as the ecological systems theory. So, Dr. Bronfenbrenner, he promoted this idea, which is quite common if you actually think about it, that there is this direct correlation between the development of an individual, their maturity, their growth, and the environment with, with, which in they find themselves. The social factors determine your way of thinking, your emotions, and also your likes and your dislikes. Out of his work and out of his studying, he forwarded this diagram developed which showcased the various spheres of influence which surrounds an individual. These spheres include the macro system, the meso system, exo system, and also the macro, and, and the macro system. Yeah. The microsystem quickly this um, refers to the people, the friendships. The church, the community, or even the school, the, in the environment you directly interact with on a daily basis. The message system refers to these, the level of synergy, this harmony that exists between these. There's also the the level where a lot of conflict or problems actually occur. When, there are, when there's disruption or there's a source of conflict within the family system, within your friend circle, within your school or the community that you grow up in. The exosystem, these are environments that affect us, but we don't have direct influence in them. So these could be your, the, the, your, the, the, your parents' work environment, the stresses that occur with them. This could be the board of the company that you work in. It could be, the, for example, in the church context, it could be the eldership who makes decisions on our behalf as a people. And the macrosystem is more larger um, and more broader things. It can be, for example, the laws, the policies, the crime levels in the country or society that you live in, and even the economy as well. But for the purpose of this message, you can forget the rest, and we will be focusing on the microsystem. This fear is essential in shaping an individual's development, their maturity, and also their growth. And when there tends to be a lack of this, I think it's easy to trace it right back that there was an issue in the micro-system. Because it accounts for the direct experiences and relationship that influences our behavior, our beliefs, and our values. It is these experiences and the relationship within them, within our closest circle of influence, which can transform the trajectory of our lives. And there's a biblical account of where this actually plays out brilliantly, and I, there's not a better story I could have come up with for myself. And in the book of Luke, we are able to read an account of just how impactful and influential your, your microsystem is on our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual lives. So in, the Luke, in Luke 5, in chapter 5, verse 17 to 26, the story follows Jesus during his time on earth, and it reads, One day as he was teaching, him being Jesus, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. It's very interesting that the Pharisees were probably Jesus' biggest critics, but for some reason, he was so good that they wanted to listen to what he had to say. So I hope I reach that level where your enemies want to hear what you have to say. That's just brilliant. And the power of the Lord was present with him being Jesus to heal. And some men came carrying from outside on a stretcher. A man was physically paralyzed. And they tried to bring him into this place and lay him down in front of Jesus. They wanted him to get to him in front of this person who is this healer. And they've heard that this man was committing miracles around um, the area. But finding no way to bring him in front um, because of the crowd that was surrounding Jesus, they went up onto the roof. They made a way carrying this paralyzed man, and they even removed some tiles from an opening and lowered this man through the tiles with a with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their act of faith, being the friends, springing from confidence in him as Jesus, he said to the paralyzed man that your sins are forgiven. The passage later then continues and it says that the scribes and the Pharisees began to consider and question the implications of what Jesus has just said. Saying to Jesus, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies by claiming to have the rights or the abilities and the right and the and the prerogatives of God? Who can forgive sins that is to remove guilt, to nullify sin's penalty, which is death? And assign righteousness except for God alone. And then Jesus, being as brilliant as he always is, knowing their hostile thoughts before they even said a thing, answered them and said, Why are you questioning these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, that your sins are forgiven to this man, or to say, get up and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus, has authority and power on earth. To forgive sins. Give me a second. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. The paralyzed man immediately stood up. He was healed. Before them, he picked up his stretcher and went home glorifying and praising God. Some of the other translations actually read that every step that this paralyzed man took was actually a glorification to what God has done. And they were all astonished, these witnesses, and they began glory, glorifying God, and they were filled with a reverential fear, it's, it's being in awe of what God did, and they kept saying that we have seen wonderful and incredible things today. And we read this historical account, which formed a part of Jesus' life, and there are some vital takeaways, as short as it is, that will prove useful for us as we explore, learn, and, and we try to navigate the highs and the lows of being surrounded by people in our humanity who resemble many of the people in this story. So if you're taking notes, this is the part where you need to start getting writing down, okay? So there are three points that I'd like to leave with us, and and I'll be as brief and possibly as quick as I can be. So point number one is quality over quantity. In this story, we see the importance of the quality um, over quantity of the people who are around this man. That quality of character is more important than the quantity of people that you are surrounded by. In this historical account, we see how the space which Jesus was in was so crowded and was so filled with so many people, including the Pharisees, these elite and very religious scholars who are unknowingly actually standing between Jesus and the miracle and the blessing and healing that this man required the room where the paralyzed man's blessing and healing took place was crowded by this group of people, and they were actually preventing a critical miracle where other witnesses were meant to see what God can actually do. And these spectators, they were between this man and his destiny. And it took four, not 400, it merely just took four crazy friends who had faith to carry this man up to the roof and tear through a, a tile and clay to lower him down into, in front of Jesus. And Jesus would forgive and ultimately bring healing to this paralyzed man. Not because of what he could do for himself, but the faith that his friends had on his behalf. And for those of us who might be a bit hyper-independent, a bit like Solon, this is quite evident that actually you can't do it all by your own, unfortunately. And Proverbs 17 verse 7 reminds us that a friend friend loves at all times. And a brother is somebody who is born out of adversity. When times are tough and when struggle is there. This highlights that it is during periods of difficulty when our relationships are strengthened. When they are actually revealed and when they can be cemented. Point number two guys. Accountability over affirmation. We require people around us who prioritize accountability over affirmation. The type of people who will be there to speak truth, but do it with love. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 5 says that correction from someone who is wise is better far than, than the praise from fools. And in our humanity, we have an inclination to surround ourselves with people who have a, tend- a tendency to affirm our lifestyles and many times our sin. This is dangerous because it creates an echo chamber which surrounds us and it, and it allows us to avoid any sort of personal responsibility. And here at Southside Church, I'll use it as an example, we obviously, we definitely invite people to come as you are. You are more than welcome. With whatever your background, whatever you do, you are more than welcome here. But unfortunately, that's not where the story ends. Because the God that I know, and I hope the God that you serve, loves you enough not to leave you exactly as you are. And that's the type of love that should flow from those around us. At its core, accountability is an acceptance of responsibility. The four friends in the story could have merely just affirmed their friend because I'm sure the friend was like, Why should I still go to see this Jesus guy? I've been paralyzed for so long physically. And they could have affirmed his brokenness and his pain and his depression, and they could have lagged all with him. And I think it's obviously important that we make space for people when we are like, you know what? There's a time when you should actually be reflecting and be honest with yourself that you know what I'm not feeling good, and that's good, but ultimately. They, these friends, the people around him, they accepted the responsibility of participating in his journey without even knowing what his healing or his breakthrough or his blessing would look like. And, if, and at the score, that is true faith. And I pray to God that you and I would be surrounded by the type of people who will have faith on our behalf when we are no longer able to. When we have accepted defeat, And we decide to give up when our hearts and our minds are too burdened by the weight and the troubles that we experience in this world. I pray that we will have people in our lives who will literally drag us, even if it means physically. And who will literally carry us to the feet of Jesus when we are unable to do so ourselves. Point number three. I told you guys I'm going quickly, okay? Point number three. Fellowship over isolation. The Surgeon General of the United States wrote a New York Times essay, which was headline, We have become a lonely nation, and it is time to fix that. It is wild to think that the individual who is considered to be the United States' leading doctor would describe the United States as a lonely nation. This is the same country which could arguably consider to be the most successful, the most powerful, industrious, and possibly the most progressive country in world history that is describing, who is describing, as lonely. And I think there's a lesson for us in this, which is that our primary goal as individuals and also as a community should never be to have or experience this exponential, explosive growth and blessing in our lives that we are unable to even sustain. Instead, however, our focus as individuals should be a deep-rooted connectedness that extends far beyond a Sunday service where we get a few goosebumps from our favorite one-liners. And I I mean, Pastor Grant, I think we give good one-liners. Or oh, our favorite song that, you know, invokes this hollow applause. Yeah. The writings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament takes us even onto an even deeper theological dimension of what community should actually look like and our connection with one another. In Romans 12, verse 9 to 13, it reads, Love is to be sincere and active, the real thing, without guile and hypocrisy. We should hurt what is evil, detest all ungodliness, to do, do, do not tolerate wickedness, and hold on tightly to what is good. We should be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly, sisterly affection as members of one family and give preference to one another in honor. We should never lag behind in diligence and be a in the spirit Enthusiastically serving the Lord and constantly rejoicing in hope because of our confidence in Christ. So we should be steadfast and patient in the stress. Devoted to prayer and continuously seeking wisdom, guidance, and strength. Contributing to the needs of God's people. Pursuing the practice of hospitality. What Paul is describing here is the tangible overflow of actively participating in fellowship in community. And the word fellowship is derived from the Greek word koinonia. I might have butchered that pronunciation, but please bear with me. And fellowship can be defined as holding something in common. So this can be a set of values or a set of activities that we partake in as a people. In order to have healthy families, Friendships and even churches, I'm no expert, but there needs to be a sharing of values and activities amongst those people. Fellowship at the school also speaks to the unity of spirit. There's a spiritual dimension to it that comes from being around those who share similar beliefs, convictions, and behaviors. And unity of spirit is experienced in our circles, in our microsystem, in our churches, And even in our marriages, when we worship together, when we study the Bible together, when we pray together, when we share meals together, there's fellowship in sharing a meal together. And when we serve others as a community to those, and we serve those who need it most. And that is when biblical fellowship occurs. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 to 20, Jesus says, Again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree that are of one mind and they are in harmony about anything that they ask, most importantly within the will of God, because sometimes we are always asking and we get annoyed and we get frustrated, God, why did this happen? But it was never God's plan. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am their among them in the scripture we observe a godly order being established with God's presence, before it even arrives it is preceded by fellowship and so and as a landscape chapter 133 verse 1 to 3 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people love together in unity it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard Running down on Adam's head, down on the collar of his robe, it is like the dew of Hermon or falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. In other in other in other translations it says that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. That his blessing comes after a unity has been achieved. And unity and fellowship in the scripture is compared to oil, and in biblical context, oil signifies, uh, signifies sacredness. That is a blessing, that is a, a protection, and a purification that is busy occurring. Once again, a sequence of events occurs where blessing and abundance happens after fellowship has been established it becomes clear that as we progress as a church and as we seek to obviously achieve great things for God, that expansion for us cannot come at the cost of fellowship. That the bigger we get, we cannot neglect the fellowship of being together. Because once we've taken fellowship and are surrounded by those who see a spirit of unity with us, it is then when we flourish. And I question myself, and I always ask myself, if unity is a sign of fellowship, does division and conflict indicate to us that there's actually a lack of fellowship? That when our relationships, that when our families, that when even we are encountering struggles with the people in our daily lives, that when those conflicts arise, is there maybe a reason why that is occurring? And it's not necessarily the individual, but that you have not even attempted to share fellowship with that individual. The Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle John, I apologize, uh, highlights another dimension. If Paul didn't go deep enough, John goes even deeper. Our fellowship was in First John 1 verse 3. Where it says that what we have seen what, and heard, what we have witnessed, we also proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship as partners with us, with the people surrounded with you, around you. And indeed our fellowship, which is a distinguishing mark of born again believers. That as a born again believer, a distinguishing mark, what sets you apart from the rest is that you know what fellowship means that our our distinguishing mark of born-again believers is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And there are two observations here. That the first dimension of the Scripture is that fellowship is horizontal. So it occurs with the people who are around you. It occurs with people who are in close proximity to you. And the second dimension of fellowship is that it is vertical. It also refers to our personal relationship with Jesus which is a distinguishing factor. So just because you spend a lot of time around with people does not mean you need to neglect your relationship that you have with God. And if your relationship with God is truly that strong, and you are as prayerful as they come, it will be reflected in how you treat other people. Okay? And, for, and as I learned, this was also emphasized by Jesus when he was asked by these Pharisees once again, the people most critical of him, when he was asked which of the biblical commandments in this entire Bible was the most important, because there's so many. Beyond the 10 commandments, there is a hundred more. And they were like, what is the most important one for us? And Jesus' response to these individuals can be found in Mark 12, chapter 12, verse 30 to 31. And And Jesus says, that you should love the Lord your God vertically with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your, and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, it's horizontally now, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that there's no commandment. There's no commandment greater than these And although we might get all the Christian boxes off and all the, you know what, I don't do this, I don't do that, so I'm good. But if there's no fellowship, it all falls flat. And it means absolutely nothing.